This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. We have a really interesting and special episode this week. We are talking with Nina Giles, who is the author of The Bridesmaid's Daughter, a deeply personal memoir about family, mental health, and revisiting the past. We are going to be able to hear perspective on what it was like as a child for Nina to grow up with a mother who had mental illness, and looking back on it, now knows that she had an untreated postpartum psychosis. Back then, there wasn't a lot of knowledge or support for mothers going through any type of perinatal crisis. And so we get to hear from Nina's perspective, what it was like growing up, and what she reflected on as an adult that she then shares with us through the bridesmaid's daughter. Nina is the youngest daughter of Carolyn Scott Reibold, a Ford model best known as one of Grace Kelly's bridesmaids. Nina has worked with leading media organizations, and today she is the COO of Giles Communications. She's an advocate for the mentally ill, traveling the globe to share her story, revealing the challenges brought on by her mother's untreated mental illness and her own lost childhood and education. Nina is a board member of NAMI Westchester and serves on the NAMI New York State Legislative Committee. She's also a volunteer with Postpartum Resource Center of New York. Nina lives in Westchester with her husband and has three grown children and three stepchildren. I hope that you will enjoy and learn from this fascinating story and reflection through the past and take some of these lessons with us into the future. So let's hear from Nina. Welcome, Nina. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very interested in your story, hearing more about your book, and really fascinated, as I mentioned before we started recording, the kind of historical aspect and your experience as a daughter of someone who went through a postpartum mental illness. It's a perspective we haven't really been able to dig into yet here on the podcast, but I know it's something that a lot of people go through. So I'm really grateful that you're willing to come on and share your story. Thank you. Yeah, so I guess start wherever feels like the start to you. Well, I wrote my book, The Bridesmaid's Daughter, to tell my mother's story. I knew that untreated mental illness was at the core, and I really wanted to uncover the truth to really 
fully understand and appreciate what my mother went through in a way that I could share with the world. In order to do that, I also had to face what happened to me as a child, which has been very painful to relive. Just a little background. My mother was a very successful Ford model in the late 1940s through the mid-1950s. Best friend and bridesmaid to Grace Kelly. She led a very glamorous life. And it was really only after she passed away in 2007 that I was finally able to understand what had happened to go back to the past Mm -hmm. in search of the woman my mother had been before I was born. She was a small town girl who made it big, considered an icon of Steubenville, Ohio. She won a contest in 1947 that gave her the money to go to New York City, where she met a young Grace Kelly and and it was there that she pursued a modeling career. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. And what happened from there for her? Well, she was very successful. Her career in modeling lasted about eight years. She was instantly recognizable by her face, if not her name. And she married my father. Actually, it was Grace that introduced my parents on a blind date. Mm -hmm. And they had a really good life. My two sisters, everything was fine. My mother went back to work after both of my sisters. And then they decided to build the dream house on Long Island. And at that point, you know, that isolated my mother and she gave up her career. Okay. So that represented a big change for her in her life. Oh, wow. Okay. So at that point you hadn't been born yet? No. So she was a little bit more isolated out there? Yes. I mean, they had a beautiful home, five acres of waterfront property. Everything was wonderful. My, you know, sister's had all of the best, you know, things. They went to horseback riding classes and dance classes and seemingly everything was fine. But so she had many of the risk factors that would have contributed to developing, you know, postpartum health issues. The year that I was born was a very difficult one for my mother. My birth was traumatic. My mother was a petite 5'4". I was a 10-pound, 10-ounce baby. She had a C-section, which was her third, and woke up to find out that she had also had a hysterectomy. Oh, gosh. She was in the hospital for more than a week. It seems to me, you know, what I've been able to find out could be about 10 days based on how long she was away. She had, you know, given up her career, isolated on Long Island. Her family was in Ohio, her friends in New York City you know, just far from everybody who would have noticed any changes in her behavior. Mm -hmm. People would come to visit, but the visits were short. And that very same year, my mother found out that my father had an affair when I was just nine months old. Mm -hmm. So it was really the perfect storm of things, you know, going wrong in her life and not enough support. My father was really Yeah, I've tried very hard to be fair to all sides of this story, but he really wasn't a supportive partner to her at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that contributed, you know, some narcissistic types of behavior, really Mm. not helpful to her. And she knew there was something wrong. That year, she was secretly seeing a psychiatrist in the city. But when my father found out, he refused to pay for the visits, insisting that she see a psychiatrist of his choosing. Which she never did. Yeah. And then when I was a teenager, my father told me that we would have hated him if he had committed her. So instead, I was hidden away with her. 
Wow. How do you mean? Can you say more about hidden away with her? Well, part of my story really is my lack of formal education. Hmm. So in my mother's care, the only full year of education that I had was seventh grade, if you can imagine that. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. You know, think of all the things the child would miss from not going to elementary school. No sense sure. of accomplishment, no friendships, no sense of belonging and fitting in. I have no class pictures. It wasn't until I was 10 years old that there was a petition for educational neglect. But even that, you know, after that, it wasn't enforced. Mm -hmm. sure. But, you know, I've explored with this, you know, every possible avenue with therapists, the top mental health professionals, you know, this was not Munchausen syndrome by proxy. You could say I had school phobia, which would be accurate. But if I had been out of her care and influence, I would have been fine. I think. I was afraid to leave her. I think I was worried about her. And so we were sort of trapped in this cycle of dysfunction, you know, where I probably said I had a stomach ache and she would be overprotective and mm. overreact to it. This is and from birth just, for you in terms of like the stories you've heard and what people have told you, what you remember. Her behavior was this way from birth. Well, as far as like the very, very early years, you know, I did over 100 interviews when I wrote the book. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was able to go back to friends and family members. For instance, she would call my mother, I mean, my grandmother, you know, talking about things that really sounded like psychosis that weren't real, mm -hmm. you know, and my sisters were six and eight years older than me, you know, so I learned a lot from them. And then I also have my school records, which were extensive. <laughs> 
if you can imagine, because of all of the absences. And I also got my sister's school records, and there were interesting notes in there as well. Mm -hmm. And I would, you know, going back to friends, like a friend of my sister said, you are like a beautiful porcelain doll, a non-entity. You never left your mother's side. Mm. These are people's observations and recollections. And was that your experience as well? Yes, but I mean, as far as the very early years, you know, I had to rely on things I heard from other people and doctors and friends and all of that. And then, you know, but by age four or five, I do have my own memories. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And in your book, do you go into some of that, what your memories were with her? Oh, yes. About my childhood? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of a glimpse or perspective? I mean, it sounds like looking back the kind of diagnosis looking back in time as related to postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis. Is that accurate? Yes. Well, I never really knew about that. I didn't know much about postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis. I never heard about it when I had my own children. But the biggest surprise, you know, in writing the book, the only diagnosis I had heard about my mother was paranoid schizophrenia, which she received in her 50s. And so how accurate could that really be? Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for an expert on schizophrenia, and that led me to Jeffrey Lieberman, chair of psychiatry at Columbia. And I was very fortunate to be able to spend time with him and sharing her story and everything that I knew, because I thought maybe it was some special kind of schizophrenia or something, because I knew the one thing I knew from all of my interviews is that the change in my mother took place after my birth. Mm-hmm. It's so evident in the pictures. People, I asked people if they noticed anything before I was born, and it was all afterwards. Hmm. Okay, with I guess with that as a context, you know, of understanding what might have been going on for her, what was it like for you? If you can give a couple of examples of things you share, uh, what was it like for you as a child? Well, as a child. I never felt really connected with her. I never felt that I had the same bond with her that my sisters had. My mother even told me that in the hospital, she couldn't hold me. And that was because of the massive incision, Mm -hmm. you know, that she would have had because of that surgery. Oh, sure. And in my memory, she's just always there, but turning away. I don't have this feeling of ever really being connected with her. Mm. But I don't think of it as something where she didn't love me or anything like that. I just feel like she just didn't have it to give because she, you know, she was really not well. Well, Did you get that sense as a child that she wasn't well? Yes. Mm. And things, you know, there were things that she said. And, you know, it changed as I got older because I started to challenge things that she'd been telling me, Mm. you know, that just didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. She would say things, you know, even when I was very young, she would say things like, they said, Mm. or, you know, well, who's they? And I could never get an answer, but I didn't understand that. Sure, sure. And then, you know, she would, you know, there were things that happened when I was very young where she'd just pick up and take me, you know, in the middle of the night on, you know, to see her mother, just Mm -hmm. things that were really very odd. It, It did not feel as a child, like a safe, I never felt really safe for my emotions or there's always this fear growing up. I grew up with a lot of fear. And I think that's related to what she was going through. Mm -hmm. Part of it, you know, also not being in a good marriage. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. 
the way that my father treated her. I did growing up witness examples of violence, you know. Right. So the home environment itself wasn't safe. And then also the feeling with your mom specifically wasn't of safety. Yeah, it was a lot of uncertainty and things, you know, just not making sense. I was very clingy at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she encouraged me to separate. Oh, but it, sure. It's so complicated because at the same time, I didn't feel close to her. Mm-hmm. It's very. It took years to kind of work through that. Right. I'm sure. I mean, there's only so much you can know as a child. There's just no way to have the context for what is actually going on until you're older and can put those pieces together. Right. Right. So in terms of how her untreated mental illness impacted you as a child, this is, I mean, these are like foundational and fundamental years to have a connection like that, that feels necessary, but not totally safe. Mm Mm-hmm. Over time, I guess, how did that impact you as you went through childhood? Well, being home all of that time and not being in school, I mean, that had a tremendous impact. You know, it's taken me years. People will say now, oh, you're so well adjusted. You're so fine. You're social. You're this, you're that. But it took me years of pretending that I was okay. And I really wasn't okay. Sure. And I had a lot of social anxiety when I was younger even in my 20s, even after I was away from her. I actually left home at age 14 because at that point, my sister, who left very young also, Mm. came home for a visit and she sat me down and she, you know, she said, you know, that my mother wasn't well. And she said, do you realize that you were never sick all those years, that you should have been in school? Mm. And once somebody said it out loud, there was no way I could go back. (laughs) Um, It wasn't about being angry at her, really. I just couldn't be with her. Yeah. She was still part of my life. It took, you know, time to work through all of it because I really didn't understand mental illness and what it was doing to her. Sure. And then I imagine nobody around her did either. No. In those days, nobody talked about it. It was something that you stayed away from. And so... You know, again, I think it started after I was born and she never got the treatment. So she just continued to decline over the years, you know, her mental health. Um, We did have a nanny when I was very young. And I think maybe that helped her get, maybe it would have been worse, this scenario, Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. she hadn't at least had that. So that you had mentioned before, she tried to go to a psychiatrist or she did go to a psychiatrist. So somebody kind of made some sort of assessment. She was taking medication at the time? I really don't know. I remember hearing about Valium and, you know, but I really can't be sure about any of that, Mm -hmm. how she was being treated. You know, I just don't, those records I don't have. So she knew something was going on and was trying to attend to it the best that she could. Oh gosh. And, um, So, I mean, the home life was complicated. It it sounds like when you're talking about it, there was a lot of you and her, but your sister was around somewhere and your dad was around somewhere. But the main thing was how much, well, I guess this is my perspective on how much she needed you around. Yes. I mean, I think there's something to be said about that. I know my therapist, actually, she was in ordinary circumstances, mother would not want the travel to her all day. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think we sort of kept each other company in a way. I think she was very lonely and very sad and 
yeah, my sisters were six and eight years older. So for them, it was completely different. My father worked in the city and then really wasn't around much. At a certain point, he started just staying in the city. He had an office and he would just stay there. He didn't want to deal with her. He even told me that he would literally pull over on the side of the road and throw up before he came home. That's how stressful it was. And he never knew, you know, who he was coming home to. But during that time, there were people on the outside that wouldn't have even known. Was your mom's behavior around other people different than it was at home? I think she, you know, she could sort of hold it together, but she didn't get involved. She was not involved with the school. Mm -hmm. She didn't make new friends. There was only one friend that I remember that we spent time with. And that's it. You know, she really didn't participate a lot. She was just there. In fact, a neighbor of ours called her the little woman down the hill. Raise your hand if you take a multivitamin and then raise your hand if you know what's in it. What about taking a multivitamin where you can actually see what's in it? Ritual is the obsessively researched multivitamin designed for women by women. It contains nine nutrients that are difficult to get enough of every day, even with a healthy diet. Instead of taking a handful of five to eight vitamins, Ritual makes it easy with two capsules a day. Order online at ritual.com for around $1 a day. Ritual is delivered to your door monthly so you can stay on track with your new healthy habit. Ritual is traceable and transparent. They search the globe for the best supplies players and are transparent about where they source their ingredients. If you want to know more, you can find everything on the website. Easy, all-in-one, everything I want. That's why Ritual is the daily vitamin I choose. When I take my vitamins in the morning with my food, I know what I'm getting throughout the day to help me stay on top of it all. You can try Ritual today because you'll get an exclusive offer for 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash mom and mind to start your ritual today. That's 10% off your first three months at ritual.com slash mom and mind. Just really, really isolated and isolating you with her, which I'm sure impacted a lot. And once when you're in your own head in that kind of a way, and then also isolated, it's really hard to be kind of checked by reality or what would the rest of us assume is reality. Yeah. It's a hard place to be in because you're like double isolated, uh, both just internally and literally. That's really hard. So this was years, I mean, years until you left, but also years afterwards. Yes. So I left at age 14 and, you know, there was a settlement a few years later, a divorce settlement. She had an apartment in the city. And then I lived in the Virgin Islands as a teenager. I went from age 17 to 20. So I only saw her once during that time, maybe. She came to visit with my sister. And then sort of after that point, you know, when I was in my 20s and, you know, married, having children, when things really got bad with her, she gave away all of her money. And eventually after wandering, it doesn't, you know, when somebody becomes homeless, I don't think it necessarily happens overnight. Mm-hmm. But she found herself 1985. And she had been taken to the hospital because she was having some kind of psychotic episode. Mm-hmm. And Uh, It was Kings County Psychiatric Hospital in New York, and they sent her to a shelter at the New York Armory, the Park Avenue Armory, or now I guess it's called Lenox Hill Neighborhood House. And they have a shelter there for women 55 and older with a diagnosis of mental illness. Hmm. And she was there for quite some time, but she refused medication and 
you know, offers to help with housing. People offered her places to live, but she would just give her things away. And it's so sad because at that point, it was so late to start treating her. I just believe firmly that if she had been treated the year after I was born, it would have changed the trajectory of our family's entire life. Oh, you yeah. are 100% right. And she would have had the help she needed. Oh, it's really, really hard to look back and see that, that things could have been so different for yeah, all of it, you. It, it, it's very painful. And I will say, you know, people always say when you write a book like this, has it, you know, been cathartic? And it has. I think it's given me a chance to be the best me that I can be, the most authentic. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed of what happened. I'm not ashamed that I didn't go to school or what happened with my mother. I can talk about it openly, and that's very empowering. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, and as an advocate, I live in that space of pain, right. you know, a lot. And it's, it's yeah. hard, but it's just balance. You have to balance it and limit how much you allow yourself to feel that pain. That's what I do. I look at it like that. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds really, really healthy. And like you said, it sounds like Mm -hmm. you took some work to get to that point. Yeah. There's a lot of things to figure out before you can get to that point. So you were saying a little bit before that while you were having kids, this was going on for your mom. She was in the shelter. What was that like for you becoming a mother with, you know, reflecting back on your time with your own mom and and how did your transition to motherhood go for you? Well, I think I always wanted to be a mother. And I think there was this part of me that just wanted to be a good mother. I wanted to be the PTA mother, the mother I never had. I was a stay-home mom until my youngest was five. And I really had that opportunity. You know, class, class mother of all three kids classes at the same time, mm-hmm. making the cupcakes, you know, helping with the homework and doing all of, you know, birthday parties and everything that I felt that I didn't have. And I enjoyed every minute of it. And today, you know, my kids are 27 to 35, three kids, and I have three stepchildren as well. And I'm close with every single one of them, you know, talk to them almost every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as a mother, I so Initially, it was just exciting and wonderful and all of that. But when my kids became school age, Mm -hmm. then we started to have some problems because I started thinking, wait a minute. You know, I started thinking about all those years where I just sort of buried it and I just went on to survive survival mode. And so I got my school records when my two oldest, they were like maybe five and two and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, one just going into kindergarten. And I told my husband, I have to go to Long Island. I have to get my school records. I need to understand what happened to me. It can't be as bad as I remember. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was worse. Oh, no. Actually worse. Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, 175 days, that's the equivalent of one school year. So I would go to school for 30 days, you know, maybe 45 on a good year, and then just not go back or one year not go at all. That part was very painful with my kids because I just look at them and I couldn't understand how right. could that happen? How did my father allow it? Right. 
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. How did the school district allow it? Right. Yeah. And nobody was checking and checking on you, seeing if you were okay or. They tried, but in such a lame way, really. I mean, they would call the house, they'd, you know, and then when they pushed her hard, she'd take me to a doctor, you know, and just say, well, she oh. hasn't been feeling well. And some of the things she talked to me about, I'm sure that those were delusions, you know, uh-huh. internal bleeding and bizarre things that she oh. said that I had, mm-hmm. but it was never something that she caused that to me is a very important distinction sure it wasn't like she was poisoning me or giving me a feeding tube or saying I needed unnecessary surgeries it wasn't like that at all right she was so all delusions you were from other people's account I guess from what your sister said you were never sick all those years yeah, that just floored me because it, we nobody had ever said it out loud. I was mm-hmm. essentially living a lie. How do you, as a young child, internalize that and understand it? And how did I even know? Right. I talk about an example in the book where it was, a bit, you know, it was like the first day of school. And I told my mother, you know, I had chest palpitations. I could hear my heart beating. And she said, you know, I can hear it too. And the next thing I know, we're going to a cardiologist. That's not normal. Mm-hmm. You know, most parents would just say, you're nervous. It's okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. So okay. you you spent about, I believe you said about five years researching and writing and going through all of this information and discovery. 
what are the things that you came away with for yourself in all of this discovery? Well, most important was to understand, you know, what really happened to my mother. And, you know, I believe the meeting with Jeffrey Lieberman really clarified that for me, because when I shared everything with him, he said, you know, you're not describing schizophrenia. What you've described to me is, you know, are the symptoms of postpartum psychosis. And if she was never treated, she would have just continued to deteriorate. So one of the things that was very helpful in understanding what happened to my mother, I spoke with one of the leading experts on postpartum psychosis, Dr. Diana Barnes. And she said that as a model, your mother's whole persona was about femininity and beauty. So the hysterectomy would have been particularly hard for her, that she would have felt that she lost part of what made her a woman. She also had asked me if my mother experienced any trauma in childhood. And at least six people from different areas of my mother's life told me that they thought that she was sexually abused by her stepfather. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, that definitely would have been a risk factor. And... And also, I spoke with my OBGYN, and he said, after such a traumatic surgery, it's highly unlikely that your mother could have escaped some kind of postpartum depression. Yeah, especially with a hysterectomy mm -hmm. and all that, like, sudden hormonal shift if she already, you know, was in this, like, fragile state. Right. Yeah, that that my birth was the fork in the road, you know, the turning point in her life from which she never recovered and through no fault of her own. Right. Thank you for adding that in, right? I'm sure back then, too, if people were talking, it was all about, like, you know, blaming her or shaming her. Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, yeah. hasn't shifted a whole lot other than, you know, those of us who know, know better. But the general public still does this. hmm Yeah. And the interesting thing is that I had saved a magazine about the Andrea Yates story from years ago. And I don't save magazines, but that story just had such an impact on me. And I remember thinking, I just understood what it was like, you know, for a mother to have delusions, you know, and really believe them. And so I just couldn't look at her as a monster. I wanted to help her, comfort her, because I just thought, I understand how it could be that real. And, you know, I couldn't even talk to anybody about it at the time. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing is that I actually met George Parnum at the PSI conference, not this year, but last year. And I had a chance to share. Yeah, I had a chance to share those feelings with him, which was really meaningful Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, so. Well, that's phenomenal. I mean, you've uncovered so much of her story in a way kind of put her together in a way that she couldn't do for herself to make sense of things that she was lost in. It's, it's like quite a feat yes. and speaks to, you know, speaks to even though things were difficult, your connection in some way. In some way. And, you know, it's been a wonderful thing to, you know, part of what I did was I researched her career and mm. now I can feel proud of her instead of being ashamed of this mother that lived in a shelter. You know, now... I just have such a different feeling about her. I feel so much love towards her and I'm proud of what she accomplished as a young woman. If I hadn't gone on this journey, I never would have been able to have those feelings, which are really important to my well-being. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
And it's quite a journey. I'm really grateful that you've done this for multiple reasons. One, I'm just so happy for you that you have this like sense of peace in relation to your mom. And also it is beneficial to the rest of us to really get a sense of, you know, for those of us who are, you know, having kids now or people who had parents with mental illness that they couldn't quite figure out what was going on. I mean, it just, you're giving context to, I'm sure a lot of people that might be helpful for them in their own healing journey. I hope so. I have gotten a lot of messages from people, you know, and it just makes you feel so good if you can help somebody else because every story is so unique and every perspective is important. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. I'll be sure to direct everybody to all of your links and to be able to find information about the book and the website and so they can read through all the beautiful work you've done. But it would also be great before we close up to hear from you what you really hope people hear and what you'd like to leave people with today. I believe when it comes to mental health, we can all help by engaging in real conversations and asking if somebody's okay, if they appear to be struggling. You know, even when the journey to write my book got too dark, a good friend of mine encouraged me to see a a therapist. And, you know, the smallest act can change someone's life. And, you know, with mothers and children, I, you know, see it all the time, you know, where people, all the attention goes to the baby. You know, we need to pay attention to mothers and ask them how they're doing. And, you know, for me, from being on this journey, when I see mothers, I really see them now. I, I know in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate, you know, everything that mothers do. Yeah, thank you for that. It seems simple enough to really ask a question like, how are you really doing and to keep a close eye? Mm-hmm. But wow, it doesn't happen enough. And people are still slipping through the cracks. So I appreciate your perspective there. And hope that people can hear that and use that. It's simple, but effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for your time. I will direct everyone to your website where they can find more information about the book and see some of the interviews you've done. And again, thank you so much for your time and for all of the work you put into this and for letting us see a glimpse into your life and your mom's life. Thank you so much. Thank you once again, Nina, for taking us on this journey with you. And I know there are so many more details in this memoir that I'm sure so many people can resonate with. For the listeners, if you'd like to learn more, go to thebridesmaidsdaughter.com and get this book. You can also connect with Nina on Facebook and Instagram at Nina Giles Author or find her on Twitter. I'm sure there are other experiences that you all listeners have had of having a parent with untreated perinatal mental health challenges. I hope Nina's story serves as comfort and education and information to you. For those of you who are new to the Mom and Mind podcast, please do subscribe so you can get each of these episodes downloaded to you directly when they come out. And be sure to share these episodes with people who could benefit from them so they know that they're not alone in their journey either. Thank you for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, 
have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.